For I know that nothing good dwells within me, that is, in my flesh. I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. Wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? Please pray with me. Dear God in heaven, we come before you this morning with the same prayer request that we bring every time we come together. We ask you to be here with us, and we trust that you are here. May my words be your words, and all of our thoughts your thoughts. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. I place a great deal of importance on the first sentence and the last sentence of everything. So when I read a novel, I'm always interested in how it starts and how it ends. When I preach, for instance, I'm always really interested in how to start and how to end. Of course, the first line of this sermon was how interested I am in how a sermon starts, so maybe I'm not off to the best start. But um, perhaps my favorite novel of all time begins with an absolutely stunning sentence. The book is A Prayer for Owen Meany by John Irving, and here is how it begins. I am doomed to remember a boy with a wrecked voice, not because of his voice, or because he was the smallest person I ever knew, or even because he was the instrument of my mother's death, but because he is the reason I believe in God. I am a Christian because of Owen Meany. Let that wash over you for a second. There's a sentence that will make you want to read the rest of the book, right? Now, this is one of those stories where if you haven't read it, no amount of summary from me here now was going to do it justice. And if you have read it, no summary is necessary. Suffice it to say that it's about two boys and the events of their lives perfectly prepare them, though they seem random and are often painful, perfectly prepare them for a future moment at which they are called upon to be heroes. Now this, what some might call extraordinary coincidence, is enough to bring the narrator to a belief in God. He becomes a Christian because of it. It's sort of a, there's no way this can all be random situation. You've heard these arguments, right? There must be some all-powerful force out there making these kinds of things happen. There's no way that could have happened by chance. And now, since I know you were all terrified that I was only going to use a literary reference and not a movie reference, I have one of those too. There is a story, another story, that follows this same kind of pattern that perhaps maybe more of you might be familiar with. This is M. Night Shyamalan's film, Signs. In Signs, Mel Gibson plays an Episcopal minister, which I heard was based on me, but you can never trust these internet <laughs> rumors. Mel Gibson plays an Episcopal minister who loses his faith when his wife dies in a car accident. Now, he lives on a farm with his brother and his two children, and each of his family members has a quirky characteristic. His brother 
is a failed baseball player who always swung at every pitch, only either hitting giant home runs or striking out. His son has intense, life-threatening asthma, and his daughter is always asking for a drink of water, but leaving the glasses half empty all around the house. Now, when their farm is besieged by, wait for it, an invading alien army, their quirks combine to form the perfect situation for them to survive the attack and defeat the aliens. Because of the way it all works out so exactly perfectly, Mel Gibson gets his faith back. He believes in God again. It's the same classic argument. There's no way this can all be random. God must exist. So this is why the narrator of A Prayer for Owen Meany and Mel Gibson from Signs believe in God. But not me. And I'd bet probably not you either. Because our lives, yours and mine, don't work out quite so neatly. I look out at the world and I look in at my own life and I find stories like these to be few and far between. Maybe it'll work out that all the things that hinder me in life, all the missteps, all the personal demons, all the things that are true of me that I wish weren't could work out together at the climax of my life and cause me to say, oh, now it all makes sense. Thanks, God. Oh, so that's why I have a stutter. Thanks, God. Or for someone else, oh, so that's why my marriage didn't work out. So that's why I got laid off. So that's why my mother is so thick, sick. Thanks, God. You see, when we apply it to actual life, this kind of thinking becomes pretty distasteful. It's cute when it's Owen Meany or Mel Gibson, and the issues are a wrecked voice and a lot of strikeouts. And when the story ends in heroism or defeated aliens, it's a different thing entirely when it's your life that's falling apart and there don't seem to be any opportunities for heroism on the horizon. What works in movies and in novels, as entertaining and as beautifully written as they might be, just doesn't seem to work in real life. Real life is a lot more messy. So why do I believe in God? Why am I a Christian? Well, a big reason is in these several sentences that we just heard read, written almost 2,000 years ago. Listen to this. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree that the law is good, but in fact, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. I know that nothing good dwells within me that is in my flesh. I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. I find it to be a law 
that when I want to do what is good, evil lies close at hand. I delight in the law of God in my inmost self, but I see in my members another law at war with the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? Now, there are two truths about this piece of scripture that make me believe in God. And they are two truths that don't seem like they could both be true at the same time. First, as I said, is that this was written in what is now Greece 2,000 years ago, probably around the year 50 AD. The second truth is that this passage was clearly written about me. This author knows me. These 11 verses are the most accurate description of the human condition that have ever been written, bar none. For I know that nothing good dwells within me, that is, in my flesh. I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. Remember how St. Paul, who wrote these words, used to be named Saul and was a persecutor of Christians. And then one day, he was traveling on the road to Damascus, minding his own business, when the voice of God came to him from the cloud, knocked him off his horse, and struck him blind. This is our Damascus Road moment, right here, this morning. At least it's one of them. Perhaps you've been knocked off your horse before. You probably will be again, but this is the voice of God speaking into your life from 2,000 years ago saying, you, yes, you, I know you, for I know that nothing good dwells within me. I can will what is right, but I cannot do it, for I do not do the good I want. But the evil I do not want is what I do. Wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? Now, we have all spent our lives hearing that we're sort of free agents, able to do the things we want and able to avoid doing the things we don't want to do. Every one of our moms told us that we could grow up to be anything we wanted to be. We all had a teacher who told us to turn that frown upside down. We've heard it often enough, and the idea is appealing and attractive enough that we almost believe it. 99% of us believes it. Be faithful to your spouse. Do what you want. Don't do what you don't want. Good father to your kids. Do what you want. Don't do what you don't want. Hard worker. Do what you want. Don't do what you don't want. That frown, do what you want. Don't do what you don't want. But deep down, down somewhere, a place where, as Jack Nicholson says in A Few Good Men, we don't like to talk about at parties, we know it's not true. That so often we don't do the thing we want, and we find ourselves doing the very thing we don't want to do. Ask someone who's been unfaithful. 
Ask someone who's been a bad parent. Ask someone who's been fired. Tell someone to turn that frown upside down and then duck. Ask yourself if you are able to do the things you want to do and to not do the things you don't want to do. Ask yourself if you're able to be the person that you want to be. Ask yourself if you've ever had this phrase written 2,000 years ago run through your head. Wretched man that I am, who will rescue me? Wretched woman that I am, who will rescue me? St. Paul, in these 11 verses of his letter to the Romans, cuts to the quick of the human heart. Everyone who hears these verses has their blood run cold. Oh my God, he's writing about me. He's describing me. St. Paul has named the unspoken powerlessness that each one of us feels, the inability to do what we want, the compulsion to do what we hate. Who, he asks, will save us from this powerlessness, from this death? Thankfully, he doesn't wait long to give us the answer. It's in the very next verse. Thanks be to God, he writes, through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is why I'm a Christian. I spent my whole life and still spend most of my time not doing the things I want to do and doing the very things I hate. That's the diagnosis. My prescription? I hide. I cover up reality. I pretend that I'm in control, doing all the things I want and avoiding all the things I hate. I conceal the truth about myself, worrying that people are going to find out what I'm really like, that my friends will realize that I don't actually have that much to offer them, that my wife will realize that I married up instead of her, that some bishop will say, wait, that guy got ordained? And everyone when they see the true state of affairs in my heart, will want nothing to do with me. But guess what? That doesn't make me odd. That makes me just like you. And you, just like me. It's so common, in fact, that it was immortalized by none other than Gary Larson in The Far Side. In his classic cartoon, we see three hobos sitting in an alley next to a trash can. And because it's a Gary Larson cartoon, one of the hobos is a human-sized insect. And the caption reads, I used to be somebody, big executive, my own company. And then one day someone yelled, hey, he's just a big cockroach. <laughs> this is all of our greatest fear our true natures being discovered, our real selves being revealed. And so we live this bipolar life, desperate for someone to love us, someone to really know us, and at the same time terrified of what might happen if someone knows what we're really like. Who indeed 
will save us, who will rescue us from this body of death. Thanks be to God. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, the one who knew no sin, who was perfect, and yet became sin, so that we, you and I, the people who can't even do the simple things we want to do, can't even stop ourselves from doing the things that we hate, so that we could become the righteousness of God. The perfect one became imperfect so that we, the imperfect ones, could become, in Christ, perfect. I am a Christian because Jesus Christ, in these words to us through St. Paul, acknowledges that he knows just the way we are. He knows you. And he doesn't say, don't worry about it. He doesn't say, it doesn't matter. He doesn't say you're fine just the way you are. He doesn't even really say that he loves you anyway. What he does say is that he will die for you. He'll take our inability to do what we want, our compulsion to do what we hate, and lay it on his own shoulders, giving us his own righteousness in its place. This is what Jesus means when he says his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Too many people think of following Jesus as a heavy burden. Lots of rules, requirements, behaviors, and laws. What would Jesus do? But no, his yoke is easy. His burden is light. He takes all those weights, all those failures, all that sin onto himself. He takes our burden, and in exchange, we get his. But his burden is actual righteousness, actual faithfulness, real sinlessness. This is why we are Christians. We are powerfully described, terribly described. We are uncomfortably, accurately described by this God, unable to do the things we want, compelled to do the things we hate. But then, this God who knows us offers us a Savior, his own Son, Jesus Christ, who will rescue you from this body of death? Jesus became that body of death so that we could have his body of righteousness and eternal life with God. We are Christians because our great sin was met our great sin was defeated. Our great sin was overcome by an even greater Savior. Thanks indeed be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.